This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. The title of my message this morning, go ahead and put the title page up, guys, is Following the Lord or Growing to Maturity. God wants us to mature. Now, we want to follow the Lord. Amen? And so as I was reading the daily reading, I picked up here in Matthew 8, and Jesus is with a lot of disciples. He's not just with his 12. There are a lot of disciples with him. And look at verse 18, verses 18 through 22. It says, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross over to the other side of the lake. Now, now you have to read and see what's going on. Now, just picture this. Jesus has been preaching, and all of a sudden, the multitudes are there, and he sees the crowd around him. How many of you know that sometimes the crowd isn't really with you? How many of you, if you have a big crowd, that doesn't mean really anything? People come to rallies for different reasons. (laughs) What are you thinking? I'm talking about church, amen? <laughs> but Jesus saw, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came and said to him, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Oh man, I'll tell you what, how many times have I heard people say something like that? Pastor, I'll follow you wherever you'll go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another disciple came to him and said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. Jesus said to him, he said, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Man, I'll tell you what, that wouldn't go down well in Zimbabwe. Let the dead bury. In fact, I said that one time because I got up to about here with nobody ever being around. Everybody, I mean, we remember when HIV was just ravaging everything and everybody. I, we, I never had a staff. Everybody was at a funeral. Every other, and these funerals don't take one day. There's four days, five days, a week, a week. You go off for a week for a funeral. And your mother died, and your brother died, and your sister died, and your other mother died, and that other mother died. Then the mother of the mother died. And then, of course, every so often you have a brother who got eaten by a crocodile, and, and he had to go to that funeral. I mean, it got to be crazy. After a while, I, one day I said, why don't we just let the dead bury the dead? And about half the church left. understand what Jesus was saying here and he wasn't against the culture what he was, he was saying are you really with me? Are you really for me? Are you really going to follow me? Or are you going to just allow any little thing to keep you? I'm not sure that Jesus didn't have some kind of a screening process going on here. I think he might have been screening the disciples and He's testing the level of commitment to him and to the kingdom of God. Do you ever think Jesus does that with you and I? 
Do you think he ever tests your level of commitment to him? Do you ever think he tests your level of commitment to his kingdom and his kingdom principles? Just tap your neighbor and say, I think he does. Or maybe you say, no, I don't think he does. Who said they didn't think he did? <laughs> then look at Matthew 8, verse 28. When he arrived on the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? Who do you think was speaking? The two men? No, it was the demons on the inside of them. How many of you know there's sometimes that it's not a person speaking, it's a demon speaking? I've heard demons speak out of people before. Mm, sounds just like them. Have you come here to torture us before our appointed time? Some distance away from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus. If you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, one word, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down into the steep bank, into the lake, and they died in the water. And this is where Jesus started his deviled ham business. Oh, no, it doesn't say that. Those tending the pigs ran off. They went into town and they reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Now listen to this. Then the whole town, the whole town, everybody say whole town, went out to meet Jesus. Now what would you do if you went to meet Jesus? Here's what they did. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave. They pleaded with him to leave their region. I think that's kind of a bizarre response, to be honest with you. Of course, you know, you have to think about this now. You have to, you have to think a little bit about what's going on here. Jesus leaves Tiberias. He leaves Capernaum, that area, in between Tiberias and Capernaum. And he goes across the Sea of Galilee to the place of the Gadareans. Now, these people must not have been Jewish, or they were really bad Jews, because they're herding pigs. Think about it. That's not kosher food. God forbids pig for a Jew. But Jesus shows up, and he casts demons out of two men. People couldn't even go past this place because these two men were so ferocious. And he cast the demons out. And the people are more concerned with the pigs that were thrown into the river or into the lake than the fact that two men got set free from demons. And they're so frightened by this, they say, Jesus, <laughs> we really don't want you around. We don't want to follow you. We'd rather have pig. How many of you know that Jesus never begged anyone to follow him? In fact, Jesus tests us to see if we're following him with our whole heart or not. Throughout the scripture, you see that God tested the children of Israel 
throughout the whole Old Testament. And Jesus is constantly testing his disciples, constantly testing the hearts of people, both believers and unbelievers. Herod wanted him to come. He says, you tell that fox. I'll be here. He was, Herod was threatening him. He says, you tell him I'll be here today and tomorrow and I'm leaving on the third day. If he wants to come and see me, come. If he wants to arrest me, try to do your best, but I'm here. Tell that fox. <laughs> Jesus sees the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, he'd think you'd want to make friends with those folks. He says, you brood of vipers. Hey. When I grew up in the Catholic church, we had a deacon. I used to love to go to church because he would always misspeak. He'd read the scriptures. He would get to read the, back then we just, they would read a portion of the scripture. And I'll never forget the Sunday that he was reading about you brood of vipers. He, got, he was very, very, he, he would speak with such authority. He says, but he would always make a mistake, always. <laughs> he says, you blood of vipers. <laughs> you blood of vipers. And, 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 you know, and the church, we would always sit there because he was so sincere but so sincerely wrong. And every Sunday that he would read, he'd always mess it up. And we would all sit there and then we'd get the giggles, you know. Because you're, in the Catholic Church, you'd never, you'd never laugh like you are today. No, 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 no. There you have to be very, very proper. The blood of vipers. It was hard. It was hard to be in the church. Let me tell you something. I don't know where that came from. You see, I think that Jesus makes a division between the cautious and the curious and the committed. Many people are cautious serving God. Many are curious about serving Jesus. But God's looking for those who are committed to serve him. He wants to bless the committed. And, and, and the reason I'm saying this is because I, I believe that the atmosphere has changed in Zimbabwe. I think there's a season here where we get a chance to represent the kingdom. Or we get to just continue down a path where you, some of you, don't even know what it's like to be free. You say we're free. You are liberated, but you're not free. Are you listening to me? And I think there's a spiritual freedom and a spiritual voice. Some of you started tasting it after the demise of our former president. And you started speaking things and didn't have to look over your shoulder. You could actually have, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? And it had a, kind of a refreshing to it. It was like, wow, wow. And, I, and I've heard some of you say things that you even catch yourself going, should I say that? God meant for you to have expression. God, not to be evil. We don't, we don't castigate people, but we should be able to express ideas, debate them, talk about them. And I believe that God wants to help us in this season to be the people he wants us to be, to be the church he wants us to be, and to be the nation he wants us to be. 
every leader in the world, doesn't matter what you lead, kind of has this same dilemma. See, God himself is looking for followers who will follow him wholeheartedly, not just with lip service or not just with convenience in mind. You know, when you find people in the church who will follow you, get alongside you and work with you wholeheartedly. Man, I'll tell you what, you just want to be around those people. You just, I just love some of you. I mean, I, I, I was going through some of our leaders the other day and I'm just thinking, this is amazing. And even some of you that are just, you know, I don't think we just have members of the church, but I see some of you, you're just rising up. I'm so proud of you. I, those of you that have entered into the political arena, I'm so proud of you. That's where reformation takes place. Those of you that have run your businesses in such a way that you bring honor to God and, and you pay good salaries and you, and you take care of yourself, I, I, I applaud you. And, 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 and that's what makes my job so rewarding is I get to see that. But you always have a few that serve conveniently or not at all. There's another story that's also taken from the daily reading this week. And it's in the Old Testament. So we've seen this in the New Testament. I'd like you to look at me in the Old Testament now. And we were reading the story of Nehemiah. Now I told you a couple of weeks ago that Nehemiah is the second shortest person in the Bible. Nehemiah, you know. You remember who the shortest person is, don't you? Yes, Bildad the Shuhite. You know, and I wanted to make sure that you, you know, those are important facts to remember. All right, but Nehemiah and the children of Israel, they have to, they come to a realization of what it takes to follow God. And if you look at Nehemiah, the eighth chapter, I, I want to read this from a real Bible. Does anybody have a real Bible today? So go ahead and turn to your real Bibles and turn to the eighth chapter. Now we're going to look at quite a bit of scripture here. But you have to understand that here we've had an amazing undertaking King Cyrus has, who's not a believer, he's not a, he's not a Jew, and, he's, and, he, and he has really no love for God officially, but he's the king. He's the Babylonian king at the time. He's the, he's the, the ruler. And he, somehow he takes a liking to the Jews. Now, maybe because of Nehemiah, we don't know why. It, it, there's a little bit of innuendo, but we, we see that he takes... And he gives the Jewish people the privilege and the right to go back to their conquered land and rebuild their temple and rebuild their city. This is a, this is a high honor. And to worship their God. And not only is he blessing them, he's opened the doors to give them the timber they need, the, the support they need, the help they need, military escorts if they need it. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. It's a new beginning. It's a new day. It's something that was promised by God, prophesied by Jeremiah. I mean, this is God at his best doing what he does. It reminds me so much of the prophecies over Zimbabwe. It reminds me so much of where we're at right now in our history. And, and even our response as believers, I think there's something that we can see in this passage of Scripture that echoes how we should behave. And Nehemiah 8 and verse 1, it says, and all the people came together as one. You have to understand, they get back and they've gone back and, and now they go and they start cleaning out the temple. And the temple's been in disrepair and all of a sudden they find the book 
the Torah, the book of the law. And it says, and all the people came together as one, as one. Boy, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could be one heart, one mind, one spirit, one faith. They came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the Torah. The Torah, the first five books of the Bible. He brought the law before the assembly. And that word law... You know, some of you have been so badly taught from wherever you came from in your churches that the law is done away with, that Jesus came and we don't have law anymore. Law simply means the teaching of God, the teaching. It's what God prescribes, the prescriptions of God. The law is not done away with, they're fulfilled in Christ. The law is still intact. And they began to read the law before the assembly which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. All who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak until noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. Isn't it amazing? How many of you know there's some people who just don't understand? How many of you, you come to church and I just don't understand. I don't know what that pastor's talking about up there. I like the music, but man, whenever he reads the Bible, I don't get it. He read it aloud from daybreak until noon. Don't you wish, I wish we could have church like that. No. He read it aloud from daybreak until noon. As he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men and women and all the others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. On his left, Padaya. It kind of sounds like the uh, Croatian football team. <laughs> Ik, I, you know, Mishik, Mashak, Ishik, Rasik. I don't know all those names, okay? Anyway, there's a bunch of ayahs here, okay? Zechariah, all right? And Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, all the people stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people of Israel, or all the people, lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. All the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Why do you think we want you to say Amen sometimes? When they read the Bible, they responded, Amen. Amen. Amen? Amen. 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 All right. Then they bowed down and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Shabiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, 
Kelita, Azariah, Jozebad, Hanan, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. See, it wasn't enough just to read it. They instructed the people. They gave understanding. They broke it down. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Don't you just love that? Then he just jumped down to the 13th verse. He says, on the second day of the month, the heads of all the families along with the priests and the Levites gathered around Ezra the teacher to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles and palms and shade trees to make temporary shelters as it is written. So the people went out and they brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs in their courtyards and in the courts of the house of God and in the square by the water gate and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua of Nun until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this. Their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days. And on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. On the 24th day, chapter 9, it says, the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those dwelling in Israel, those of Israelite descent, had separated themselves from all the foreigners. They stood in their places and they confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were And they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. And then they spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. Standing on the stairs of the Levites were all those guys again, the the Croatian football team. They cried out with loud voices to the Lord their God. And the Levites, there's the other side of the team, said, stand up. Praise the Lord your God who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name and may it be exalted above all blessing and all praise. Man, I just, you know, as I read this, I'm just thinking, this is amazing. So here's what you see. There's a move of God on. God's doing something. The children of Israel have been brought out of exile. They've been brought back to their land. They're rebuilding the temple. They're, they found the book of the Bible. They, they, all of a sudden they read something. It says that, hey, this is the month, this is the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, which, by the way, is coming up for us. It's one of the God's feasts. And so we'll be looking at God's feasts, and we're going to be celebrating it this year, uh, probably in September. I think it's around September sometime. The dates will be as we get closer, we'll let you know. But we want to celebrate God's feasts. 
And so they're celebrating one of the feasts of God. And, 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 and what happens is God smites their hearts. As Israel reads the Bible, oh, they have a heart towards God. They said, oh, God. And for a, a, a quarter of the day, for three hours, they stand up and they confess their sins. And they confess the sins of their ancestors. God, forgive us. God, forgive us for what our fathers have done. God, forgive us for what we allowed to happen to our land. God, forgive us for what we allowed to happen to our families. God, forgive us for what we have allowed to take place in our nation. God, would you forgive us? God, forgive my family. Forgive me. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for my compromise. And they went on for three hours. Three hours. For goodness sake, don't you think 15 minutes is enough? Oh, they were brokenhearted. Then they take another three hours. And they worship God and they praise him and they say, God, you're the God of heaven. Just, I can't, I can't get through it all here because there's just so much. But uh, they stand up and they begin to pray a prayer. And they, you know, you'll see this prayer throughout the scriptures. They start from Genesis and they go all the way through, you know, God, you're the God who delivered us from the hand of the Israelites, from, or from the hand of the Egyptians. You, you slew the, you know, you did the ten wonders. You slew the firstborn. You delivered us through the waters. You, and they go through this whole list of everything God ever did for them. It's a, it's a constant prayer throughout the scriptures. I tell you what, it's important that you remind yourself and you remind God of who he is and what he's done Bring him to remembrance of his covenant. Bring him to remembrance of his word. Bring him to of past victories. Because let me tell you something. If you're going to get something in the, in the now, you better remember how good he's been in the past. So they go through this. And I don't want to read it all because it's a lot of verses. But we'll just jump down to verse 32 as he kind of wraps it up. He says, now therefore our God, the great God, mighty and awesome, who keeps his covenant of love, do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes. The hardship that has come upon us in our kings, on our kings, our, our leaders, on our priests, on our prophets, and our ancestors, and all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until today. In all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully. While we acted wickedly. Our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our ancestors did not follow your law. Oh God, for the nation of Zimbabwe. Our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our ancestors did not follow the law of God. They did not pay attention to your commands or the statutes you warned them to keep. Even while they were in their kingdom, enjoying your great goodness to them in the spacious and fertile land that you gave them, they did not serve you or turn from their evil ways. But see, we are slaves today. Slaves in the land that you gave our ancestors so they could eat its fruit and the other good thing, things it produces. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings that you've placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please, and we are in great distress. 
in view of this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. Man, I'll tell you, they're getting serious now. They said, we're about to do something here, and we want to affix our seals to this. Those who sealed it were, and it goes through a whole list in chapter 10 of who sealed it. All the Croatian football team are there. And then just jump down to verse 28, and we're going to read a few more verses. We're going to read 10 more verses, and then I'm going to close. It says, the rest of the people, the rest of the people, after all these people signed it, these leaders put their seal on it, and they said, we're in. All the rest of the people, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, musicians, temple servants, and all of the people who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God. Now, let me tell you something. This was a testing period. Are you going to be just like everybody else in Zimbabwe? Or are you going to separate yourself for the law of God? Are you going to be what Jesus said, called out once, separated under righteousness? Are you a royal priesthood, a holy nation? Are you God's people or are you just like everybody else? These people said no. We are going to separate ourselves. We are separating ourselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God. We're going to hold fast to the Bible together with our wives and their sons and daughters who are able to understand. All these now join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God, even, though, even through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. We promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us or take their daughters for our sons. When the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or any holy day. Every seventh year, we will forego, we will forego working the land and we will cancel all debts. We assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of our God. And for the bread that's set out on the table for regular grain offerings and burnt offerings, for the offerings on the Sabbaths, at the new moons, feasts, at the appointed festivals, for the holy offerings, for sin offerings to make atonement for Israel, and for all the duties of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people, have cast lots to determine when each of our families is to bring to the house of God at a set time each year a contribution of wood to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law. We also assume our responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops. And the first fruits of every tree. As it is written in the law, we will bring the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, of our herds and of our flocks to the house of God, to the priests ministering there. Moreover, we will bring this to the storerooms of the house of God, to the priests, the first 
of our ground meal, of our grain offerings, of the fruit of all of our trees, and of our new wine, and of our olive oil. And, everybody say and. So it says we're going to bring the first of all these things, and we will bring a tithe of our crops to the Levites. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in the towns where we work. The priest, a priest descended from Aaron is to accompany the Levites when they receive the tithes. And the Levites are to bring a tenth of the tithes up to the house of our God to the storerooms of the treasury. And the people of Israel, including the Levites, are to bring their contributions of grain, new wine, olive oil to the storerooms where the articles for the sanctuary for the articles of the sanctuary and for the ministering priests, the gatekeepers and the musicians are also kept. We will not neglect the house of our God. Now let me tell you something. When you begin to be touched by God, something begins to happen in your heart. And you don't want to neglect the house of God. You don't want to neglect what God is involved in. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. If you really have a touch from God, you want to see your church blessed. You want to see God's work grow. You want to be financially responsible. And so some of you haven't been here long enough or some of you haven't read my book, but I'm going to recommend that you get a book. It's called First Fruits. Now, if I could twist your arm and if I could take a can opener and open your head and pour everything I know into it, I would make you do what's in this book. Every person that I work with that does first fruits, I see a blessing on their hands if they do it by faith. I can't tell you how many of our business people, how many of our successful men and women have fallen in love with Jesus, gotten involved with God, and gotten involved in the church with their lives and with their finances. And as they gain revelation, they bring their first fruits. There's a promise with first fruits. The Bible says that when you bring your first fruits, the man of God can pray. And the prayer is found in Exodus. He says, he prays that the angel that's assigned to you, how many of you know you each have an angel? At least one, maybe more. The Bible says the angels of the Lord are encamped around about us. But the angel, that's in, he says, your angel will go before you. Your enemies will become God's enemies. The boundary lines will fall for you in good places. Now, I don't know about you. I kind of need that in my life. I kind of like the fact that when I go out, I can see fingerprints of God on stuff. I can see... Wow, you know what, that, that wasn't me, that was God. Oh, how did I meet that person? Oh, that was, that was an angel working on my behalf. This is amazing how my life works. I wish you all had that experience. And God is wanting to lead us into that. Then above your, 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 above your uh, first fruits, there's offerings. Offerings are done out of the free will of your heart. Sometimes they're called sin offerings. You know you've sinned. You know that, man, you've violated. Some of you have given money to witch doctors. Apostle Gabenga came and he taught us. He says, until your sacrifice to God exceeds that to your witch doctor, you have no part of the kingdom of God. 
Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but I can tell you this. If you've been giving money to the witch doctor and you don't have faith in God, you're not willing to give money to God, I think you should think about that. I've often paid sin offerings. I've sinned and I know it's wrong. I don't ever want to do it again. And it's one thing to come and confess at the altar and say, oh God, forgive me, oh God. It's another thing to go and say, oh God, forgive me. But I'm going to do something that hurts me so bad that I never want to do this again. I'm going to give you of my substance as a token of my determination to break this thing. It's an offering. I don't, God, I don't want anything in return. I just want you to forgive me. I want you to see I'm serious about this. So I, I, I think that I read the Bible and it's very practical. There's sin offerings. There's free will offerings. And I, God, I'm so blessed. I'm so thankful. Here, I, just, I can't help but give. Hey? So offerings. And then he says, your tithes. Now, the first fruit is a portion of the very first of whatever you have. It comes way before the tithe. The tithe it comes way before the harvest, in fact. It's the first part of the harvest. You, it, it's, it's, as, it's as God releases you into something new, a new blessing, a, 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 a favor. A, a, as, he, as he releases your first part of your crops, you bring the first. Then at the end of the harvest, usually around the Feast of Weeks, Everybody would bring their tithe. That's 10% of your increase. So there's first fruits, offerings, tithes. There's one other thing in there that I should probably tell you. There's alms. The giving of alms. That's taking care of the poor. Anyway. Here's the verse I want you to see. Verse 35. We also assume responsibility. You see, maturity and responsibility go together. We assume the responsibility. I can't make you be responsible. I really can't make you tithe or give or do anything, and I don't want to. But I would love to see you grow up and become mature and responsible. I would love you to be responsible for this building. I would love you to be responsible for each and every ministry that takes place from this house. Could you imagine what it would be like if each and every one of you was involved in some facet of the ministry? If someone in the ministry came and said, we're going to the other side, you jumped in the boat and said, I'm with you, even though you know, well, you don't know, because they got in a storm. Did you know they got in a big storm? They were scared. They said, well, I think those guys that stayed on the other side and buried their father and did those things were probably smarter than we are. But in the midst of the storm, they cried out to the Lord. And he said, where's your faith? And they learned the lessons of faith. Can I tell you something? Anytime you get involved with God, it's going to stretch you. It's going to frighten you. It's going to put you in a place where, eh, I don't know if I can do this. And that's why money plays such an important role in what we do. Because I, I promise you, the scariest place for me is when I say, okay, I'm in, Lord, I'm in. He says, good. He says, show me. Okay, now I can show up. But you know, there's a saying, put your money where your mouth is. 
God often asks you for your money. He often asks you, he says, hey, I just, because he said, I'm going to test you. He said, I want to see if you're really in. He said, I want to really see. He said, I'll bless you. But he says, I want to make sure that, hey, even if you get into the middle of a storm and it looks like, oh, I'm going under. We don't have enough money. I wish I'd never given it to the church. Golly, that was a stupid move. Ever, I've been there. Oh, I could use that $50. I could use that $1,000. I could use that $10,000. But you know what? I've seen God turn my life around so many times. I have a habit of giving. I have a habit. In fact, I rush into the giving market. Let me give. Stretching myself because I know how faithful he is. I wish you were like that. I wish I could get you to be like that. I wish you would come on this journey with me. Because I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor have I seen their seed begging for bread. Here's what they said. They said, we will not neglect the house of our God. You know, Jesus tested his disciples. They had many excuses why they couldn't follow him. They had many excuses why they couldn't obey him. They had many excuses. And he never once said, mm, you're not going to be blessed. He just went on, and eventually there were 12, and then there were 40, and then there were 72, and then there was 120 that really did follow him. You and I get a chance to follow him. One of the ways we do that is with our finances. I would love to put a challenge out to you today that between now and the end of the year, those of you that have not tithed, those of you who have stopped tithing, those of you who gave up on tithing, that you would do what Malachi said. He says, prove me, test me. God said this, not anybody else. God says, I'm, I'm asking you to test me and see if I will not bless you. See if I won't open for you the windows of heaven. See if I won't pour out a blessing on you. And just for six months, become faithful in your ties. Trust him. Get it in the boat. And if it gets stormy, stay in the boat. Call out to him. Worship him. Confess your sins. Tithe. Just tithe. Give offerings. Just for six months. And if at the end of six months, God doesn't bless you. If at the end of six months, you don't see a change, then I promise you, I release you from tithing ever again. No, I, I promise you, because God lied to you. God's a liar. I'll, and I'll get up and I'll declare, God is a liar. His word doesn't work. But I tell you, I'm so confident that I know God doesn't lie. I know that God blesses his people. And I want to bring you as a pastor into blessing. And I'm tired of trying to fleece people. I, I, I don't fleece people, but I, I see people having to be fleeced to give. Some concoction. No, 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 no. Do it out of your own free. Take responsibility for your giving. Be a responsible person. Take responsibility for your actions. Take responsibility for your government. Take responsibility for your business. Take responsibility for your family. Take responsibility for your church. Amen. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.